And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord God, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the, fe- all the firstborn of the animals. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these, your servants, shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. After that I will go out. And then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his hand. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the privilege and the honor that it is today to be able to go before your people and to praise you, to worship you. Lord, on a day where it just seems like so many weird things are happening, God, I thank you that the privilege today is just that, that you are the same. You change not. So, Lord, there's no concern in regards to what you're going to do in this time. I know you're going to minister. But, God, I pray that your word would come alive for every one of us. And we recognize that's more than just your word being alive. That's more than just words being spoken or or the book being taught. But, Lord, that our hearts would be open and available. That we would be readied and available for what it is you want to tell us today. God, we need to hear you today. And we really pray that you would personally speak our language today, that you would minister profoundly, God, that you would do great and glorious things. So Lord, speak fluent us individually where we need to hear you and corporately as a family. And Jesus, reign over this time, please. Lord, you know what weaknesses are represented in this room. Lord, address those today. You know what things, God, we struggle with. I pray that you would address those today. You know where we need encouragement. Bring encouragement. Hope, bring hope. Love, bring love. Peace, bring peace. Life, bring life. God, in all those things we seek, first and foremost, we seek You now. Reveal Yourself through these pages, we pray. And minister to each of us, God, not because we deserve it, but because You are a God who is a God of grace. So thank You, God. May Your cross be presented May you bring salvation. And may you make things clearer than they've ever been as we've commit this time to you now, Lord. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Let that beautiful book you hold be that for which you test all things to be true or false. Now, it almost seems like a disjunctive chapter, doesn't it? In the beginning, you're reading in chapter 11, it begins, the Lord speaking to Moses. Then the Lord gave Moses favor in verse 3. And then verse 4, Moses says, thus says the Lord about midnight. And then he storms out from Pharaoh. And you go, Pharaoh? I thought he talked to him last chapter. 
Well, I want to remind you that when this book was written, it didn't have chapter markings or verse markings. Those are there, so it's a lot easier for me to say, turn to Exodus 11. Without doing that, I'd say, turn to that part. It's hard enough for you to get to Exodus 11. Could you imagine if I said, turn to that part where Moses gets all cheeky with Pharaoh? You'd go, which part? So it's a little easier. But for context, and that's one of the important things we want to do here, just go back to the verse 24 of the last chapter. And that's going to help us at least get some reference to where we are. In verse 24, it says, Pharaoh called to Moses, and if you remember, it's been dark, and there will be a darkness that would be felt for three days. Darkness that would be felt. And Moses said, I'm sorry, Pharaoh said to Moses, Go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. But your little ones, they can go with you. Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we might sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our sacrifice also shall go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind. For we shall, take some of them, we shall take some of them and serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me! Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day that you see my face, you will die. Moses said, You've spoken well. You're not going to see my face again. And again, you kind of get the idea there's some serious trash talking happening in all of this. Now, while all of this is going on, then we have the Lord said to Moses in Exodus 11.1. 1. And then we say in verse 4 that Moses says, and he storms out of Pharaoh's presence. So put all of that together. What that means is all of chapter 11 still happens in the same scene. So put it out with me. Here's the idea. There have been, now I remind you of the nine plagues we've seen so far and the tenth we've yet to. The sort of system, if you will, is that God gives two with warning and one without. Kind of like get two and get one free. And, and the two that are warned, it's like, I want to warn you, the, the, you know, the river is going to turn to blood, there are going to be frogs. And then complete. That's just sort of a little added bonus, if you will. And then come the flies you're kind of warned about. And it's, like, and it's gone that way. Two on, one off, two on, one off. So we've gone through that. And what happened is the last of the warned ones was locusts that have completely eaten what was left over after crushed by the hail. And again, I remind you that all of those things were gods that were worshipped in one manner or another. God is not arbitrarily just making people's lives miserable. But I do want to let you know that the Lord wants you miserable without him he didn't create you to be without him and he doesn't want you satisfied without him either for good reason you see the lord created you to be with him and if he created you to be with him then the best possible place you could be is with him it says in colossians 1 by him and for him all things were created and that includes you because whether you like it or not you're a thing you fit into that part of the noun category person as well, might I say. Now, follow me on this. So, in all of these, we've kind of gotten to the locusts and Pharaoh has kind of come in and said, alright, get rid of these locusts, I can't handle this. Moses says, you know, you're really kind of, you're running to the end of things and we've gotten to just about the end. The only thing that people worship that's left in Egypt is going to be Pharaoh. And what's clear is Pharaoh doesn't even have the power to protect his own household. And if he can't, and this, by the way, is really important to recognize, if if a man can't handle his own household, how is he going to handle anyone else? 
By the way, God makes that really clear in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and Titus chapter 2, that when it talks about people that are leaders, the first place you're supposed to look is their own household. You'll find that a lot of problems that happen within churches often happen, to be honest, because really, guys, you should have been warned if you looked in the house. Now, in this situation, we've had these two-on, one-off, two-on, one-off, and God has taken down everything people worship, from money, and we're going to see a little bit of that today, to power, to pride, to sex. Everything that people adulate has been lifted up and torn down so that you get the idea that no matter how powerful you think something is, the only thing left standing is going to be God, and He'll do that in your life. Now, the good news is you could say yes to Him early, And what that means is you have a lot less scars. Because if God has to take down everything else in your life, what's going to be left is you on the ground with everything else on the ground and God standing and saying, how you like me now? Now, in this time, we've had this, you know, Pharaoh has called Moses and he said, hey, 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 I'm going to offer you a compromise. And Moses says, there's no compromise. This isn't God bargaining with you. God, by the way, and this is important to recognize, as the Lord, has the right to make the rules. Now, we don't like that because, to be honest, we've deceived ourselves. As Ruthie would say, you're delusional. You get delusional in actually thinking you're ruling your own life. But no matter how much you think you rule your own life, you drive fast enough on on a highway, sooner or later, someone's going to convince you you don't make your own rules up. You park in Camden just about anywhere and say it's okay because you decide it's okay, someone's going to disagree with you and they're going to win. No matter how much you want to play that game. And the reason I say that is sooner or later you get to realize you really can't make up all your rules like you want to. You can run around and sleep with everyone if you want to and sooner or later if you get something out of it, and that's the most amazing part, you can't think you're exempt to the results of all of the things that are naturally part of the game. It's like if you play rugby and you get a bruise, you shouldn't be shocked. And if you're out there doing that, the most amazing thing is God says, don't go sleeping around. And people go, yeah, 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 whatever, blah, 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 I can't hear you. And then they'll run around and do that and then they'll get a disease or something and then they'll turn around and the greatest part is then they blame God as if somehow God was behind that part. God's like, I was the door that told you not to go out there and do that. And in this situation, we're in a place where Pharaoh's been offering compromise and, and Moses has praised God for Moses in this. He's just like, you know what? I don't even know what it is that we're going to need, but I'm sure of this. We are going to bring a sacrifice with us because when we stand before the Lord, he's going to want a sacrifice. And we talked about that last week, how important it was that your sacrifice be perfect and God has offered you, Jesus, the perfect sacrifice to stand beside you as your cover charge. And with that, the difference, by the way, between Jesus and everything else that you want to call religion or religious is that Jesus is a gift. Everything else you can think you earned. And in the end of it all, the difference is you can ask, what have you done for me lately? And you can do that to anyone else, and the answer really is nothing. But God's like, look, I'm not going to compromise with somebody about letting my people go. And please hear me on that. When God wants to deliver you, he's not into partial delivery. He's not like going, you know, Mary, we we could deliver part of her brain and and a foot and a hand, she'll be okay. We think that way sometimes, but really, to be honest, when God's into deliverance, he's into total deliverance. He's not into that game of some of it. And God, by the way, isn't into time sharing or joint custody. 
And in that, Pharaoh's like, well, let me offer you a compromise. And Moses is like, mm, I can't do that. And Pharaoh goes, and again, I remind you, it's pitch black while this is happening, which makes it even funnier to me. So as it's pitch black, he says, you'll never see my face again. And I could kind of see Moses going, <laughs> you can't see my face right now. You know, because it's pitch black, right? And in all of that, you know, you, get, you, know, you kind of get that, that Moses has kind of gotten angry and he leaves, by the way, notice it says in this text, he leaves in anger, which by the way is a forerunning for what we're going to see later. One of the problems that Moses does have is anger. And that's going to get him in big trouble someday. Here, you're never going to see my face again. And Moses is like, yeah, yeah, right back at you, yeah. And then the Lord speaks to him. And again, that's where we're at in our text. So he hasn't left, but you're not leaving fast because it's dark. And when it's dark, I don't know about you, but I don't go quickly anywhere when I can't see where I'm going. In our house, there's steps. That's enough reason to slow down. And in chapter 11 now, in verse 1, the Lord says to Moses, look, I'm going to bring one more plague and this thing is done. He says, listen, on Egypt, afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Now that's important because what that says is, God's saying, you are going to be evicted by your bondage. You're going to actually get kicked out by your slave master. I kind of like that. I mean, of all the things you could be evicted from, you never think about being evicted from something you shouldn't be evicted from. But you know what? I'm sorry, being evicted from something you really should be evicted from. And, and here's the crazy part. You can see this in some of your lives. I listen to some of you, and I hear your testimony. It sounds like this. You know, I used to go out, and I used to go out to the parties all the time. I was clubbing and all that. Then I gave my life to Jesus, and I got evicted. Now, you may not have used those words. Now, it isn't like you got evicted from the club. You got evicted from the friends that were going to the club. They're still going to the club. They're just not inviting you anymore. And you know what the funny thing is? If, 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 let's be honest. It's like you'll convince yourself you wouldn't have gone anyways, but you really wanted to be invited so you could say no. But can I just be honest with you? If God knew you had the power at that moment to say no and you were going to exercise that power, he probably would have allowed you to be invited. But the fact that you didn't get invited is more than likely because God knows that if you got invited, you would, you would have said, okay, I'll make it a ministry. <laughs> And then deceive it. You're delusional. You get back into that thing. Now hear me out, friends. God's speaking to Moses. Now, understand, Moses has just gotten cheeky with Pharaoh, right? He's going, yeah, 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 you're not going to see my face either. And God's like, hey, 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 Moses. One more and this thing is done. Because I wonder if that moment, if you were Moses, you're like, how long is this going to go on? How many things are left to happen? The land is ravished. It's been pummeled by giant blocks of ice and then it's been eaten by a bunch of bugs. The people have had sores and fleas and flies and, you know, they're not doing so well. And now it's pitch black. And uh, you ever get to that point where you're like, how much worse can it get than this? And I'm like, oh, it's going to get worse because it's going to hit home now. See, even in the midst of an angry moment with, with Moses, God still speaks to Moses. And I do like that. And by the way, can I just say, just because you want to be human doesn't mean God stops talking, but it may mean you stop listening. God doesn't have a problem speaking to you. Indeed, he doesn't have a problem speaking your language. The bigger problem normally is, is that we have a problem listening. And to be honest, because we know what he's going to say. And if you have kids, you understand this. There are times where one of your children, or both of them, or however many, may not ask one of you, but the other, because they're more convinced that the answer will be more favorable to one than the other. 
So I'm not even going to ask mom because I know what she's going to say. And you know, why even bring that subject up? Because I already know the answer is no. And you know what? This is how we play it. Figure this out with me. Listen. How many of you said, the Lord hasn't answered my prayer? No, be honest. What does that mean? What that means is he hasn't said yes yet. Right? So, could God answer your prayer with no? Lord, please, 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 let that person fall in love with me. I'm single. I'm 22. I should be married by now. I'm getting old. I'm going to sit here and wait. And the and so, Lord, what do you think? And God says, oh, no. And you're like, God hasn't answered my prayer yet. <laughs> you know? I mean, and it gets worse. Like, like that person will move to Bangladesh. And you're still waiting. I'm just waiting. I'm going to, I'm going to wait. I'm waiting on my miracle. I'm waiting on my breakthrough. My breakthrough's going to happen. What's that breakthrough? God's going to just bring a tsunami and bring the whole island of Bangladesh, the whole country of Bangladesh, pick it up and put it next to England. And then they're going to walk over and say, I've missed you. you know, and God's like, look, you don't know what trouble you would have gotten in if I said yes to that. But the fact that we say God hasn't answered our prayers when God may have just said no tells me where we're at with God sometimes. We say, you know, I know the scripture says your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but it's like my will be done. Could you just kind of come alongside with what I want and then your will be done? Let's be honest. Moses is angry and God's still speaking. And God's speaking some of the heaviest things that Moses is going to hear here. I'm going to bring one more thing and then he's going to drive you out. He's going to kick you out of here. And at that point... You could be sure. Now, by the way, can I just say, God loves you enough to let you not be liked anymore by places you shouldn't be. Did you ever think you were really cool someplace, then you got saved and you went back there, and there was no way you could even try to be as cool as you were before? You weren't as cool as the least cool person you were with at that point. And you're like, I don't know what it is. I don't have this, I can't find the switch to hit to get cool yet. And God's like, look at the bottom line is, I just don't want you there anymore. I got you kicked out for a reason. And God loves to burn bridges of places you don't belong. And we're busy trying to rebuild them. He goes, oh, he'll drive you out altogether. So I'm going to ask you to do something really weird. And by the way, this is what it says in verse 2. Speak now in the hearing of the people. And let every man ask of his neighbor and every woman from their neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. Okay, which one of you is comfortable with that idea? Well, I just want to know before I invite you over to dinner. Anyway, so... <laughs> okay, take, go ahead and flash that first slide, if you would, please. Um, I wanted to give you a couple slides, and we'll see if you can see these. She did a really good job with this. Um, these are some pictures of Pharaoh, and, and for what it's worth, again, I want to remind you, that in the sight of the general populace of Egypt, people basically believed that Pharaoh was a unique species. He wasn't exactly a man, and he wasn't exactly a god. So as a result of that, they kind of figured he was the guy that kept the order of the whole universe. And if he kept the order of the whole universe, the idea was is that he was somewhere half in between the two. He was sort of a demigod or something that the Avengers would have to take on. But, but in that, the idea was is that because of that, and if you see these two things that he holds here, one of them is for upper and one is for lower Egypt. Because prior to the time of Moses, the area of Egypt was divided. It was divided into the north, which was, by the way, the lower, and then the south, which was the upper. And that's, of course, more, more geographical. And, and with that, though... One of the things I started, we've kind of looked at over the, the last 
12 weeks, of course, is what the people in Egypt worshipped and why that was so important. But let me just kind of point out something, that God didn't ask them to ask for precious stones here. Did you notice that? But ask for silver and gold. So the real question is, well, what did the Egyptians do with silver and gold? That would be kind of an important thing pertinent to that, wouldn't you think? So let's take a look. First of all, we have this. Now, I don't know if you can see this real well. I'll go over here for a second. But what we have here are one of the three things that gold was primarily used for in Egypt. And Anyone want to guess what those things are? Yeah, jewelry. But the, that particular jewelry, by the way, had all of it had one thing in common. Jewelry was not something you wore because you were going out to the movies. Well, first of all, we didn't have movies back then. There we go. Um, the reason why jewelry was worn was it was something that was, in essence, a corridor to the afterlife, or a corridor to the supernatural. In other words, it was something you wore at ritual. So if you saw someone wearing jewelry, it wasn't because they were trying to doll themselves up because they were going on a date. They were on their way to temple. That was the idea. Now, now listen to this. The Egyptians were enamored with gold, and the reason more than any that they were enamored with gold is think about some of the unique properties. There was a particular quartz that was there that when rushed over by the water and pressed really heavy would turn to gold. But that gold, think about it, it doesn't tarnish, it doesn't fade, it doesn't erode, and those are very unique properties for a metal, don't you think? So as a result of that, they literally called it the flesh of the gods. And so what happened is they were really huge on pounding it down, as you're probably aware of, it's extremely malleable. They would pound it down into really thin paper, and they would wrap just about anything they possibly could in it. But because they considered it the flesh of the gods, it was really important that if you were going to go and seek the gods, that you had gold on you. That was kind of the idea. As a matter of fact, you know, those of you who are Spanish or kind of that, you know how you know, some of those guys, they have like names that are like 17 names long. It kind of walks you through their lineage. I'm like, Inigo Matoya, Gonzalez, Smith, you know, or whatever. Well, understand that for a pharaoh, the same thing happened. And you had five names that were part of the protocol. And one of those was the gold of Horus because they considered you, again, enclosed in the flesh of a god, but part god was the idea, but not fully god. So, so with that, and by the way, and you notice, by the way, if you can see the cobra that was there, or you see the hieroglyphics here, those kind of things, of course, were pertinent to particular sacrifices or particular temples. Okay, next slide, please. So that's the first thing that we see with gold. Second thing, of course, what else was made out of gold? Idols. Now, imagine everyone's got a little shrine in their house. This is my favorite, of course, because everyone wants a gold dung beetle in their house. Um, better than a live one, I suppose. But nonetheless, and now I want you to consider the fact that when you're going to someone's house, you're going to be asking them for gold. Now think about this. You went and you sought this guy out, but he was no help for plague three. You sought this guy out, but he was no help for plague five. You sought this guy out, but he was no help for plague six. By this point, you're like, what good are you? And then someone knocks at your house and goes, got any gold you want to get rid of? And they're like, yeah, take this. Kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? Now think about what that means, though, from God's perspective. God is giving a chance for the Egyptians to come clean. Think about it. He's giving a chance for them to go, you know what, why don't you get rid of that unwanted, unneeded things you should be discarding anyways? Do you ever have anything, and maybe you do, in your house that, like, you know what, I really even know this doesn't belong in a house that God rules in, but for whatever reason I still have it. You know, I, someday I'll get around to it. Might I just say today would be really good. A uh, third thing, by the way, that gold was made that um, that was made out of gold is 
these, for instance. Now, I don't know if you can see these well. These are ritual items for worship of other gods. These were the three primary things that were made out of gold. So, imagine if it will, that you would be going to someone's house and saying, got some gold. Well, let's see, what do I have in the house that's gold? Jewelry that I wear when I go to the temple of that god to keep him happy, but he failed me. Then I have the idol of that god, but he failed me. And here's the dagger that I used to make a sacrifice to that god, but he failed me. Have it all. Isn't that interesting? Now, well, the question is, God said not only gold, but what about silver? So we'll go to one more slide then in regards to that. And according to silver, well, what was made out of silver? Well, the same thing, if you will. If you'll pardon me for saying they were a poor man's substitute for the gold. So whether that was ritual items, whether that, such as that, whether that was jewelry that was worn, or whether that was idols, they were either made out of gold or silver. So when you're going to the house, I mean, it seems really weird, but please understand, in God's eyes, that's pavement for him. I want to remind you, according to heaven. Now, he has not told me, and I don't believe, at least at this point, unless God's spoken uniquely to you about this, that you should go door to door and start asking people for gold and silver. Now, that's not the point. Because the point really isn't just getting stuff, because they don't even know what they're going to do with this. By the way, does anyone know what they're going to wind up doing with this stuff? Well, what God really wants to do with it, ultimately, is use it for articles for his tabernacle. But unfortunately, they're going to take a U-turn, some of these things, some of that stuff. And what's going to happen is when Moses is going up and getting the Ten Commands, they're going to take this stuff and they're going to make a big golden calf out of it. But didn't God already take care of the livestock a while back already? And the best part is, and it's one of those great texts where you just see human nature, Moses' brother, his big brother, says, I don't know, we had these earrings and we threw them in the fire and poof, out came this... Yeah, we're going to believe a cow came out of that. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Listen to that again. I don't know. There was this big bang. And out of it came this beautiful, organized, golden calf. Okay, anyways. (laughs) Chew on that one. All right, so. Speak now in the hearing of the people. Tell them, go and get your stuff. And it's like, so can you imagine if you knocked on on someone's house and say, can I have your gods, please? They're not useful anyways. They're lame. Here's the big issue is if someone were to come to your house and see those same gods propped up and set up, that would, by the way, be a very difficult thing to observe. And again, James would say, it's time for judgment to begin at the house of God. I have a humble suggestion for you. And by the way, there was nothing I would suggest for you that I wouldn't do for myself. Go before the Lord today and ask Him, is there anything in my house that could be strewed as an idol to somebody else that really just doesn't belong here at all? So, verse 3. It says, And the Lord gave people favor, I'm sorry, gave, gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt and in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Now, by the way, all of these things are things that God had promised already in the beginning of Exodus. The last plague, by the way, will be the plague of the firstborn. And I want you to recognize that in Exodus 4.22, that was the first thing that Moses said. He said, look, Israel's my firstborn, and if you don't let them go, your firstborn's going to suffer as a result of that. The whole idea of these people getting this stuff, 430 years ago, that was in Genesis 15. Flip back to Genesis 15 for a moment. And if again, if you're in your Bibles, it's the first book, you're in the second.
In Genesis 15, verse 13, God is speaking to the father of the entire nation, known at that time as Abram. And God says this in verse 13, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. That's what God promised. You're going to be a slave for 400 years, and then after that, you're going to come out rich. Which, by the way, is quite a riddle, but it's all playing forth in front of us. In Exodus 3, and go ahead and flip forward to Exodus 3. This is what God said when he started recruiting Moses for this ministry. In Exodus 3, verse 21... God says, And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. Now, God did not bless His people because He was equaling out their bondage. And by the way, any of you ever had that feeling? It's like, you know, I had about five years of a really rough life. The next five years are probably going to be awesome. Or worse yet, I've had five really good years. The next five are going to probably be terrible. Because somehow there has to be some kind of great equilibrium in the universe. Please hear me on this, saints, please. In the devil's dictionary, the word grace does not appear. And without grace, the best you've got is justice. And with justice, you're kind of shooting at this idea that maybe if I have a tough enough life here, it'll be good enough here. If I've been really mean, of course, certainly, then the rest of my life's going to be... And then the reason I say that is is that there's, if, we, if we're governed by that, we tend to live this life as if it's governed by the circumstances around us, and then our life's like a roller coaster, and we think that's okay. That's like how you're doing, well, you know, it's up one day, down the other. But God never really called us to be elevator Christians, to be lift Christians. He called us to be people that every day should get better because we know Him better, His Spirit has greater reign over us, and because He's making us more like Him. That's great news. My wife can wake up, I can look at her, turn to her and say, Honey, good news, I'm better today than I was yesterday. I'm more like Jesus. And she could say, I can't wait for tomorrow. You know, and I, and, I, <laughs> and I look at that and I think, it doesn't have to be this. For the world, all we have is the external circumstances. And if all we are is in the world, this is what's going to happen. But as a Christian, we should be able to do this. Now, I want you to recognize that if you're not doing that, well, that's normal. But God has called us above normal. He's not called us to live normal lives anymore. He's called us to live super normal lives. In other words, not a natural life, but a supernatural life. And if we're called to live that, we shouldn't be looking around the world to see what's permissible. We should be looking at the Lord to see what's beneficial. And if I'm looking at the world and saying, how can I just be at the edge of freak? You know, I don't want to be really too crazy, just enough where people kind of admire me for being odd. And the Lord's like, but I've called you to being super, uber, radical, not just weird. And this God says, look it, you're going to walk out, and let's face it, that's more than just weird. And by the way, if you're leaving for the wilderness, think about it. What is a lot of gold in the wilderness? It's packing heavy in a place where you should have a carry-on. But God's going to use it. And God gave the people favor. 
God promises, by the way, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. I like that verse. But notice, by the way, God always says he wants something first. And by the way, that's not an equilibrium. There's still grace. What he wants is your love, your time, your surrender. He'll take care of the rest. And so the people, now strangely enough, think about this. I mean, wouldn't you think, now think about, what if it would be like if God, you know, that uh, there was like all of the leadership of, of the UK was holding the pe- were holding the people in bondage and God wanted to set you guys free and send you to, to an island somewhere that's beautiful and warm. Right now, that's a little bit more of a daydream. But, right, and, and they're like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And the whole place gets decimated. The last thing you might be thinking is, well, people are really going to go, I love those guys. I tend to think they're like, get out of here now. But God gave him favor anyways. So that means you knock on a door and someone's like, Hey, Andrew, it's so nice to see you. And this is an Egyptian that used to beat Andrew several months ago because he wasn't getting enough brick made done. Nathaniel, come on in for food. Would you like my God? Bruno, so good to see you. Love the hat. By the way, here's the dagger I used to slaughter things with. Isn't that strange? Doesn't that sound bizarre? But do you realize that literally happened? After a while, how many people do you start inviting yourself over for? At that point, man, I think you turn into like a, you look, you you shame the Jehovah Witnesses at that point. You're just knocking (laughs) on every door. I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm a Hebrew. Oh, come on in. We're having an Egyptian barbecue. Oh, thank you, Lord. Then the Lord says to Moses in verse 4, About midnight now, I'm going to go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn of the female serpent who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. By the way, we're probably aware of, well, hopefully you're aware of the fact death is universal. The death rate on human beings, by the way, since Enoch has been 100%, People haven't escaped it. We can say, well, okay, well, there's Elijah. Okay, we'll play that one out. But Jesus, but Jesus did die, but he also did resurrect. But let me tell you, Scripture says, and hear me out, it is appointed unto man once to die and then to judgment. That's what Scripture says. Scripture never teaches reincarnation. Scripture scripture teaches you've got one life. You know, Y-O-L-O, bro. That came from Scripture. You only live once. And then... You're going to stand before the Lord. It isn't like, can I have another try at that? And you know what? This generation more than any other kind of gets that concept of the other way around. And the reason is, is we have video games where we die all the time and we just get another life. You ever have something, I'll be honest, you're playing a video game and you just started out poor, so you just intentionally died so you could just start over because you know you could do better? And I've watched that happen in real life with people. Not, not intentionally dying, but they just kind of give up. Just bail on it. I'll just start on something. And I watch that with people with their marriages. I watch that with people and things that God has placed them in. And the problem is, is if you are in a required course and you bail from it, God is going to stick you in another course of the like and you're going to keep getting it until you pass the course. But God makes clear, you're only going to, look, you only got once. And what God says now in Egypt is it really doesn't matter how rich or how poor, how powerful, how famous, or how obscure, or 
or uneducated or uneducated, whatever it is, in the end of it all, death is going to visit every person in Egypt. And there's only one way out of it. Now God puts two categories now, and he'll make that really clear here in a moment. And he says, there's nothing that's been like this before. Well, wait a minute. Well, what about when Pharaoh ordered the execution of all of the little baby boys among Hebrews? Wasn't that like it? Yes, but it wasn't universal. See, because this isn't just babies. I mean, think about what it would be like if you were Joshua, because more than likely Joshua was the firstborn in his family. Or what was it like for Aaron? Because Aaron appeared to be the firstborn among Moses' family. It didn't matter whether you were 3, 30, or 83. If you're the firstborn, you're still going to stand before God on this. And the good news is, is it's completely, please hear me, completely avoidable. Completely avoidable. Now remind you, all of this is happening while Moses is standing before Pharaoh. How would you like to get this kind of information there? And by the way, I want to remind you in verse 4, Moses is telling Pharaoh this. Listen to this information. Verse 4 again, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I'm going to go to the land in the midst of Egypt. The firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, as it's not as been before, nor shall be like it again. But against some of the children of Israel, I'm sorry, no, that's not what it says, does it? It says against none of the children of Israel shall a dog even move its tongue. And if you go, what? So, you know, somehow everybody's dying, ah, like this in Egypt, but like, you know, like all of a sudden you're in the area of Goshen while the Israelites and the dogs are like, oh. And they're not allowed to move their tongue. Well, the idea is simple. A dog is quick to bark at anything, at any unrest, at any difficulty, at anything suspicious. A wind will cause a dog to blow. And what God says is, in my area, there will be rest. There's going to be such rest, you're going to see a radical difference. And listen, listen. The radical difference should be the difference of children. What children look like in the household of God versus what children look like in the household of Pharaoh. There should be a difference. The difference should be rest. Now, some of you think that's impossible. They're children. How do you rest when there's children? The blessing of that, by the way, though, is raising them in the ways of the Lord. When you, rest, when you, when you raise your children in the ways of the Lord, there's something about resting at night knowing God, this is your issue to deal with, not mine. I just want to get out of your way. And God looks and says, look it, don't even expect a, dark, a dog to start freaking out in the land of Egypt, or in the land of Israel, because, well, the land of Egypt, where Israel is, Goshen. Because there it's just going to be rest. Now listen, God had already said in Exodus 3-7, I've already heard the cries of my people. That's coming. In Proverbs 21.13, God says, Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will cry and not be heard himself. In Jeremiah 31, God speaks about those people at a time when there will be a great cry in the land of Israel. Much like this, Rachel weeping for her children because they're no more, which of course will happen during Herod's reign in Matthew 2.18. But it all boils down to this. 
In 2 Thessalonians 1.6, it says, It is a righteous thing for God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest when our Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. A dog is not even going to move his tongue against man, beast, that you may know, Pharaoh, verse 7, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Now, God doesn't hate the Egyptians. If He did, He would have just killed them all and let them go free in the beginning. God has systematically taken down everything Egypt worships so that the Egyptians would come with. But please hear me on this, because here's another one of those things we need to verify as we get near closing this. And that is that in God's eyes, there are two groups of people, and not everybody is a child of God. And they'll say, come on, we're all children of the Lord, not according to Scripture. According to Scripture, we are born children of wrath. We are born governed by the enemy at our own self-destruction. It isn't like you're born and because you're born, you're just like, you know, everyone joins hands. We're all children of God. John says in 1 John 3, 1, Behold, and the idea of it is stop and, and consider how amazing this is. Behold how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God. In other words, what John says is, I mean, this guy's like in his 90s, he's an old rugged fisherman, and he goes, do you get it? Man, stop! No, really, really! Not just like, yeah, it's good. No, really! How amazing it is to be a child of God. It's not just something cool. It's amazing! What the Bible tells us is that God is into adoption. We don't become little gods. We're adopted. And that's the point. But this is what Ephesians 2 says. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, walking in the lusts of our flesh and mind, controlled by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, and were by nature children of wrath. So, play that out for just a second. Jukes. Well, he and his wife want to go adopt. So they go to an adoption agency and they walk into an orphanage. It's a beautiful orphanage. And he goes, well, let me show you the children. He goes, okay, let's show the children. Well, and, and as they're looking, they're looking for the one for their house. And they go, do you have any dead ones? Dead ones? Well, yeah, we're looking for a dead one that's walking around. Do you have any zombie children? Zombie children? They might get kicked out at that moment but it says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were walking by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. Oh, by the way, that child also really disobedient, lives to disobey you, and is by nature a child of wrath. This child already has a vendetta on it, is already guilty. And imagine Shuk says, we'll have that one. And you think, that guy's lunatic, unless... He genuinely believes, and either is delusional or is real, that he has the power over death, that, that he could bring a dead person to life, that he could take someone that is controlled by the prince of the power of the air and release him from that power and bondage, set them free and transform them so they're no longer a child of disobedience, and deliver them out of that wrath. And only one person has that capacity, and with all due respect, it's Jesus, not him. It's Jesus. See, when God... When God adopted you, if you've said yes to the gift of Jesus Christ, when God adopted you, He knew everything about you. There was no surprise. He already knew you were rebellious. 
He already knew you were headstrong. He already knew that you like to make up your own rules anyways and God should get behind, but you're going to call him Lord anyways as if he's going to buy that. He already knew all of that. He already knew that inside you were spiritually dead, but he wanted you anyways because he could make you alive. So none of that surprised him. So the idea that we're all children of God, to be honest, we're all children of wrath. Some of us have been bought by the blood. But the opportunity is here for every one of us. For every one of us. And if you haven't accepted that gift of Jesus today, I'm just about to close this and give you that opportunity. Listen, why would you say no? Is it your pride that would say, look it, I want to earn this myself when God wants to give it to you? God wants to adopt you. It says that God has placed within us the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, excuse me, sir, no, Abba, which is the same word children use today in Israel. It's Daddy. You're not crying out. I don't know how many of you actually were ever able to say to your own father, Daddy. But that's the relationship the Father in Heaven wants to have with you. And for some of us, that's inventing something brand new in our universe. For some of you, you kind of go, well, I kind of had a daddy. But he goes, when God put his spirit of adoption inside of you, and he didn't put his spirit inside of you the moment you showed up at a church, the moment you gave to a charity, the moment you opened the Bible, the moment you accept Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians 1.13, God put within you his Holy Spirit. That's when the spirit of adoption. And my God is into adopting and he's not intimidated by your mess. And Moses is standing before Pharaoh and he goes, look at you need to know God draws a line here and you're on one side and we're on the other. You need to know that. Don't you think that we're all in the same place? And the world would love to say that. That's the most offensive or one of the most offensive parts of our message, isn't it? That you're on the wrong side, man. You need to accept Jesus. I don't need to accept Jesus. I'm fine where you are. Look, you need to know that the Lord has no problem showing you there is a difference between his people and those who aren't. And that's what he's doing here. And you know what's going to be? Your house is going to fall apart. But it's more than that. Verse 8, look at it with me. And all your servants will come down and bow to me saying, Get out, all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. Look, you think you've got all these people serving you, Pharaoh? Every one of them are going to beg me to leave. You're going to say, you can't go. And they're going to go, please leave. Please, we don't even care what Pharaoh says anymore. Please get out of here. You need to know they're going to come down to me and they're going to bow down to me. Pharaoh, you think you're in control? You're done. Verse 9, the Lord said to Moses then, Pharaoh won't, isn't going to listen to you anyways. Moses is leaving now, right? And he's leaving in a huff. And though he's leaving in a huff, the Lord says to Moses, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you, but it, there's a reason for it. I want you to know that even in some man's stubbornness, I'm going to be glorified. Ladies, if you think you're married to a guy and he's just flat out stubborn, I want you to know God can still work through that. If he can do it with Pharaoh, and if he can do it with Nebuchadnezzar, he can certainly do it with your husband. If you're working with a boss and your boss is just stubborn, God's like, look it, he may not want to listen to what you have to say right now, but don't worry, I know how to make this really clear to him. Just do what I call you to. So Moses and Aaron did all those wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord actually, and the words are, Nicholas talks to the word, of course, of strengthening a person's resolve. Didn't change Pharaoh's mind, he just strengthened his resolve. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart that he would not let the children of Israel go out of the land. Oh, but they're about to. And what's going to happen before this night is over? On one side, there's that great duress to trouble those who have been troubled. 
uh, that have been troubling, as God promised again in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7. But on the other side of it, one of my favorite verses, or part of it from one of my daughters, Psalm 127, 2, when it says, it's vain to rise up early, but it also says to sit up late and to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. And in the end of it all, the Lord knows how to give rest. Didn't Jesus say, you can come to me weary, you could come to me tired, you could come to me exhausted, you could come to me burnt out, you could come to me confused, you could come to me just wasted, but in the end of it all, if you come to me, I'll give you rest. And Jesus is the only one who can. Now look at, we are at this point in Scripture at the verge of one of the greatest miracles that will take place in the entire Old Testament. At the verge of it. And at this point, it's, it may, it's still dark. At this point, there's anger. At this point, there's rampant pride. There's ignorance and delusion and all kinds of things. And God says, look at you have no close, you have no idea how close you are to this miracle. And I want you to know, maybe that's you today. Maybe you're in that place where you're tired of struggling and you feel like it's dark and you feel like the enemy has no interest in letting you go. You feel like you've tried everything, you've done your programs, you've done your everythings, and somehow in it it's not happening. And I'm telling you that what the Lord wants is you to cling to Him because He's about to take you out. And when He takes you out, you're not going back. He's going to do it in such a way that you won't even be welcomed back where you were, which is great news. So, beloved, as we go to prayer, and then we're going to have communion today. As we go to prayer, I'd like to ask you a simple question. What have you done with this guy? This guy, Jesus this Savior, this Lord, this Deliverer? Have you accepted His gift at the cross? Have you cried out to Him and asked Him to be the one who can wash you clean of your sins? Dying on the cross for the sins of mankind, yours too. Offering as a gift to you that love. And then raising on the third day. So when you turn to anyone else and say, what have you done for me lately? What answer could they give you? On the other side of that, Jesus could say, I died for you when you hated me. When you were dead in your trespasses and sin, I was the price of your adoption. Are you going to say yes to him today? Because if you have said yes to him, my prayer for you and for me today is that we would cry out to God and ask, Lord, is there anything in my house that doesn't belong here? De-God my house except for you, the true God. De-idle it. Make it a a temple like you ordained for it to be. And me, as a person, and that's the next thing. What's in me? Is there anything in me that doesn't belong there? Remove it, that you would have your home here. Will you pray with me, please? God, I thank you for this beautiful text. I thank you for the privilege it is to just turn to you and cry out to you. I thank you, Lord, that you ask insane things like going door to door to ask people for gold and silver. Now, you haven't asked us to do that, Lord, and I'm thankful. But you've actually, strangely enough, asked us to do almost the opposite, for us to actually turn and and offer the greatest treasures to others, the treasure of the gospel. You've invited us now to go. And what's strange is that it was Israel would be quicker to go door to door to, to ask things of people than we would be to give it. Convince us again of the gift of your gospel the blessing of your presence, the sheer magnificence of your forgiveness. And I pray today, Lord God, for every person here, myself included, God, that you would show us where we're at with you, honestly. And for every believer in this room, myself included, 
God, that you would just take inventory of our houses and remove what doesn't belong. And as you remove what doesn't belong, Lord, be exalted. Fill that space with you. But Lord, along those lines as well, look into our hearts and our minds and see if there's anything there that doesn't belong. Remove that as well, God, I pray, and replace it with you, with your word, with your presence. And right now, within the sound of my voice, if you've never accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, who was so, that the Father so loved you, he sent here to pay the price as the perfect sacrifice for you, to die for your sins on the cross and raise again and offer you new life and innocence and adoption from the Father. And if today you want to say, yes, I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask for you, just to simply listen to it. And at the end of it, if you agree, say amen, saying, I agree, let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God, I come to you as a sinner. I've done wrong, I've thought wrong, I've felt wrong. But I believe you really sent your Son to die for me so that I could be set free, forgiven, declared innocent. So I accept the gift of Jesus Christ. I accept His death on the cross to pay for my wrongs. I accept His resurrection to be the Lord of my life. And Father in heaven, I pray that You would adopt me now as Christ is my payment, that I could call out to You, Daddy, and have the relationship with You that You created me to have, that I'd have the rest You offer me and the peace And so now I give myself to you and I say I'm yours. Have me, I pray, I'm yours. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.